Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride. And all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives, right? So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, and sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I, I coach and I build training plans and, you know, that's that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in, in well, chatting with you? You're on the Consummate Athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We are here. It is the Consummate Athlete podcast. I feel like we're very consummate athlete-y in our, in our house right now because we have our sweet tent set up uh, well, in the living room. That's one way to describe it, I guess, for sure. Yeah, definitely not irritating Peter at all with the fact that our pretty much entire living room is taken up by our new mountain hardware tent. Well, you got to test that stuff out, I guess. So we are doing that and uh, yeah, yeah, we're getting ready for a, a backpacking trip. Yeah, which actually like leads very neatly into the reason we had this week's guest on. We have Sarah Quackenbush today talking all about hiking and backpacking and uh, solo camping and camping with dogs and sort of all kinds of cool outdoorsy stuff that we, we don't really get to talk a lot about on the podcast, but I'm super excited to, to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and she sort of has learned to camp, so you discuss sort of this like acquiring the skills but then she also was building like manufacturing some of her yeah she makes a lot of her own gear now like tents and stuff yep. yeah yeah so it's a really interesting conversation and i think what it sort of shows to me is like a lot of people get really nervous about the idea of of backpacking and doing these more backcountry hikes and i mean it is intimidating like the gear lists alone are like pretty hefty um we we actually like kind of dissect hers because she has it posted and we'll include a link to her blog where she's talked about like what she brings and how she puts it together and stuff Um, but i think like once you get the hang of it once you go once you sort of start figuring out what you needed what you didn't need what's helpful what's a lot of extra i'm usually the one carrying a lot of extra yeah, and I think it's like bike packing or or just simply just starting to run or starting to bike, right? You you can start with, you might be camping in your living room, um, or or something smaller, right? You know, backyard camping. You know, I think sometimes we forget the the begin where you are step as well. Um, yeah, it exactly. Could be, you know, the we're going to Killarney Provincial Park in northern Ontario, and I mean they have there's lots of people that you know hike five kilometers maybe to like sort of the first sites, camp for a night or two. And then just return on foot the same way they came, right? And so it's not, it's backcountry camping, but you're really sort of, you know, mitigating some of the downside. If you had to run out in the middle of the night because of something, you could, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we've we've done the, the loop. Sarah and I talk about, she actually just did uh, the cloche loop that we're about to go hike in and do this, this coming weekend. Um, she did it uh, back in May and... Yeah, she has some good advice on that one specifically, but also just sort of like what it looks like to do an 80K sort of through hike. And solo too. Solo, yeah. 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 Which I find just like super intimidating, the idea of doing that. So it was really cool talking to someone about, you know, how they approach that both physically and mentally. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought it was such a fun conversation, such a departure from our normal ones because anyone we've had on talking about hiking and camping has been... Like, I'll say, like, a very, like, woodsman-y, like, you could drop them in the middle of, like, the Arctic tundra and have no qualms about them getting out alive. Right. Um, this is a much more, like, here's how... To get started. To get yeah. started and how 
kind of, yeah, just a little bit more normal is what I want to say. Yeah, we definitely trend more towards the like always going for speed and, and forgetting the enjoyment piece a little bit. So yeah, it's, it's although good. you know what, she is no slouch on the speed. Like it is still burly hike days and stuff, but definitely a reminder that you know it doesn't have to always be chasing an FKT or chasing a, a big goal to to enjoy being out in the woods. Right. So, all right. Without further ado, enjoy this interview with Sarah Quackenbush. Okay, well, the first thing I, I always ask is uh, is really just, like, who are you? Like, what's your, like, 30-second uh, athletic bio? Athletic bio. Um, I played sports in high school and haven't done much since. Um. <laughs> okay, you said that so casually, though, because I feel like hiking La Cloche takes a pretty hefty amount of athleticism, so... Like, as a non-student athlete myself, I, I feel like you've, you've just taken a different direction with athletics, we'll say. Yeah, so it's kind of been, a, like, a bit complicated. I, I've been generally active, although less so kind of as of the past two years since I've been back east. Um, I did do a little bit of training this fall. Um, but was injured in the winter and then COVID happened. So in terms of like athletic identity, I do a lot of things, I guess, at a really, really recreational level. I I don't really enjoy training. I don't really enjoy um, things that feel like uh, work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Makes sense. Like I like to cross country ski and snowboard and swim uh, and hike, but I, I, yeah, I don't really do anything with a focus. Hmm. Yeah. No. That that makes sense. I feel like that's actually like the most fun way to do things. And I mean, again, that said, like having done the Lacroix Silhouette Trail like a couple times now, clearly it's it's not like you're not doing much. <laughs> so, what like you actually? So you just did the Lacroix Trail again in June. So tell me about talk me through that trip. How was it? How many nights? How, where did you camp? How did it go? So I did it in three nights. Uh, Bunny Rabbit Lake, Little Mountain Lake, uh, 19. So there's several Three Narrows Lake sites, and I was at 19, I believe. So it was okay. uh, in a ballpark of 20 kilometers a day, which isn't crazy, but people do tend to do that trail a bit slower, I find. Mm-hmm. Like out west, I found that was more of like a typical day. But... Lacoche is quite a bit different than other hiking here. So, uh, yeah, it was a good trip. So I had uh, a big spring and summer planned before COVID. I was going to do Lacoche in April, the Fundy Footpath in May, and the Superior Coastal Trail in May, have a month to get my stuff in order, and then do the GDT through July and August. None of those things happened. Uh, <laughs> So I got, I was going to do Superior there at the beginning of June, but the permits for Killarney came up. Uh, Superior doesn't need specific site permits. It's a little bit more flexible. So I went and I did Killarney instead. Uh, I was kind of coming off the couch and the fastest you can book online is the three nights, four day kind of itinerary. And I really don't like phone calls. So I was like, okay, well, that should get, there's a bit of um, so I figured that would be an okay timeline for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So when I say I came off the couch, like I'm kind of not kidding. I did do like my first kind of focused training through September to December, which was really, really boring, but it really made a difference. Uh, but then come January, I dislocated a bone in my foot and then had an Achilles issue and then hadn't done anything once lockdown happened because like, unless I'm just going to walk laps around my neighborhood with a pack, which I, I did do for a bit, but, <laughs> but doing that for like three hours around your whatever couple blocks, it's, I, yeah, I couldn't, my, I mentally couldn't do it. Yep, so fair enough. I was actually really, really surprised. I'm about 35, 40 pounds overweight. Like I um, was expecting to have a bit of a harder time because of the fact I had not been really in shape. But I think walking up and down stairs for hours and hours a week and like the progressive training um, that I was doing in the winter helped my connective tissues because normally I have some kind of foot, ankle, hip thing 
that plagues me and that was fine like my body held up really really well and I wonder if that's not the reason mm-hmm. um, the hardest part I had was my feet like my soft Ooh. tender yeah. office school person feet um, were just really really tender uh, didn't really have much in the way of blisters which was awesome uh, since switching to trail runners and so that was really good. The trip was really good. Uh, I did run into a lot of rain and I found that really slowed things down. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, we've done it in there when it's, and it's so slippery when those rocks get wet at all. It's just, it's rough with the backpack. <laughs> and so did you, uh, sorry, I like lost you there for a second. And that trip, you didn't bring your dog? No, I didn't bring either of them. I uh, expected it to be really, really buggy, which I didn't really think yep. was fair. And they're also, neither of them are in shape. Uh, <laughs> so I want to just kind of dunk them into into that, not quite knowing. I hadn't been there. That was the first time I'd done it. So okay. they stayed at home and, and they got to lay in the king size bed while I fought the bugs in the rain. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're so we're actually scheduled to go to do La Cloche in... Uh, the end of the month, like early or early August, I guess. And we're doing, I think, two nights, three days is our plan. Uh, we did have to call and I'm with you. I would like so much rather just not call. So I was almost tempted to book three nights just for the sake of not having to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we're we're actually planning on bringing DW at this point, which is going to be an interesting situation. Um yeah pretty light though yeah exactly so I've, I've seen some pictures of you with the dog in your pack have you had to carry the the pups like very often on hikes or how does that work I did that once <laughs> <laughs> that it stays a bit bigger of a dog so he's yeah he's about 30 35 pounds at that point and it was probably unnecessary to be honest but he was still pretty young and a bit worried about the exact we did about 15 kilometers or 20 kilometers that day so mm. once he started dragging I popped him in much to his chagrin oh my god I can't even imagine 30 pounds extra when your bag already weighs that at least DW is gonna tap out at like you know 10 so oh, my pack packed it I don't think weighed 30 pounds on that trip I rarely carry that much um that was only an overnight, but I, I did go uh, with a family member who doesn't like to go quite as light as me. So it wasn't my normal, like, 12 pounds for an overnight. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely more than my pack. <laughs> yeah. We, we have to talk about this because I am not a light packer. Um, how do you get weight down other than just, like, every, you know, every specific item? You can, you know, get the pricier thing where you drop a couple ounces but like what's what's like the general solution to not bringing 80 pounds for a three-day trip um there's a couple things i sorry that's uh, all right this we are talking mountain dog adventures here so he's just adding in <laughs> he likes to join the chorus of the neighborhood dogs once mm-hmm. they start <laughs> i'm gonna pop him in the basement here mm-hmm. um so light, lightening stuff up. So I kind of started light because, and because most I I kind of did it backwards. Most people kind of start heavier and then realize that is less fun and start lightening up. I was really really out of shape when I started, and I wanted to go see things in the mountains. I was on a summer internship in Calgary, and I didn't have much room on my motorcycle, and so I just took what I knew I absolutely needed on an overnight. And I've actually kind of heavied up since then. So, and I was a student and really broke. Yeah. So yeah, the expensive stuff didn't happen, and so it just kind of came down to looking at what I really needed, and. Um, being close enough to the trailhead that I knew if I was cold or wet, I could just I could just walk back and mm-hmm. drive home. Um, because you kind of tend to pack your fears, and so if you're worried you're going to be cold, you're going to take a lot of clothes that you may or may not wear, um, or you'll pack a lot of. If you're worried about being hungry, you'll pack a lot of extra food that you end up carrying. Mm-hmm. And so part of it, is dialing in your system and knowing, okay, well in August, um, I probably don't need two sweaters or a sweater, depending on the weather forecast you're specifically looking at um, and kind of dialing in only taking what you're going to use. Mm-hmm. 
and first aid kit emergency stuff those are kind of exceptions yeah yeah and yeah. i think i guess this is where the packing list comes in too so after every trip do you go through your list and like click off like what you did and didn't use I don't do it as formally as that, but yeah, I kind of like, even as I, because it, I'm at this point carrying so little, well, I shouldn't say that in like the ultralight hiking world, I, I'm not ultralight and I carry lots of stuff, but um, <laughs> like, I am bad about keeping track of things and organizing things. So the less I have to carry, the better it works for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do just kind of like go through even as I'm using things. And I'm like, oh man, this thing hasn't come out of my pack yet. I just keep up to repacking it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely guilty of the food and the clothing. Um, I just, yeah, I get terrified that like any, because especially because we're pretty aggressive with how much we like plan to do in a day. So I'm always kind of like preparing for like an extra day. Um, like in case, but I feel like that, that screws me. And then clothing, I feel like I'm so bad for just like, I'm going to need 18 pairs of socks. So I'm going to bring 18 pairs of socks. Yeah. I bring three tops. Yeah. Probably do most of the summer, but three, three is like the top one on your feet, one to sleep in that are always dry. And then one you can flag off the side of your pack somewhere and hope they dry. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Do do you do an extra pair of shoes or do you just go like one and done? I'm just one pair of shoes. Now I've been kind of playing with my shoes as of late because I was planning all those big hikes. Mm -hmm. Historically worn like just uh, light-ish boots, but I've never had good luck. My feet have always ended up really chewed up and I'm fighting blister problems. And so I switched to trail runners and kind of uh, not beginner friendly trail runners i don't really like trail run i would trail run actually that would make running less unpleasant for me but where i live right i have to drive a long way but anyway so i was kind of worried about my shoes on that trip but they were great uh i had like one blister on my soft student office feet um it rained i was walking through water they were wet the whole time and my feet dried out really well overnight and I, I was really happy. They're not perfect, and I still have some tweaking to do, but they were just wet. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. fine. I was surprised because the boot, boots, my boots never worked that way. They got wet. I was miserable. Yep. Yeah. I've actually, I'm one of the two pairs of shoes people because if my shoes are wet the second day, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be a happy camper. And then no one's going to be happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hike alone <laughs> and then nobody has to put up with me yeah and that was actually what I was going to ask you next was I mean the first solo yeah. trip you made like how, how did that feel going out by yourself like I admit I've never actually camped solo so again this is kind of one of those things I kind of started out backwards I started out camping alone so I'd done some hiking with other people, but my fitness level was a problem with the people I was going with. And I will keep up, but I will then also throw up and or have digestive issues. Yep, yep. And so it was no fun. <laughs> so when I moved, I was out in Calgary, I didn't know anybody. And uh, so I just went on my own. And again, it was those like really short, close to the trailhead kind of things where I could just walk back to the car in the middle of the night if I had to. I had a headlamp and they were really well marked really clear trails like the worst case scenario was you walk back and you drive home and really enjoyed it because I could go at my own pace and it didn't matter if I was slow or not slow or I didn't have to worry about pacing and I'm only responsible for myself and so that's one thing that as I have gotten more experience and I did outdoors club executive stuff when I was in university a bit later on and I do take beginner like more beginner friends out a lot but it's still sometimes really nice to go out on my own because I'm only worried about me. I know where my comfort limits are. I know kind of what I'm comfortable doing. And it's just really easy in that mm-hmm. regard. Yeah. Um, so when you were out on the cloche this past trip, did you mm-hmm. see anyone? Was anyone else on the trail? I saw at least one person every day. So I did it counterclockwise. So the first day was the cracks. So okay. there was lots of other hikers. Um, then there was, there was actually another group at the bunny rabbit lake has two sites and the other site was taken okay. uh, the next day i saw one person on trail and then there was a really big thunderstorm that night and i think some canoers 
kind of got themselves into trouble because they were camping at the portage. There wasn't actually a campsite across from Little Mountain Lake, but mm-hmm. there's a portage there. They were definitely there. Um, I didn't expect that. And then I saw a couple people the next day, and then the last day was a Friday, and I was hiking out, and everybody was hiking in, so I saw lots and lots of people. Yeah, okay. That's, like, just enough to feel like, okay, I'm not alone in the world, but still, like, time to yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, up on the ridges, you get cell service. I kind of, I brought uh, an in-reach so I could text out and had an SOS if I needed it. Uh, but the first three days, the well, the first two and a half days, I had cell service at least once or twice every day. I was kind of surprised. It's pretty shocking, actually. We noticed that. Uh, yeah when we were there last summer compared to the summer before where there was none suddenly you're like oh I'm like on top of this mountain and you know 40k into this thing and like oh yep getting a text yeah (laughs) I'm like kind of happy about it kind of upset I don't know (laughs) but I think it's, it's probably a positive ultimately um I'm just like I'm so obsessed with all of this camp stuff um I love your your starry night tent that you have. Um, how did you how did you decide on what tent setup you're using? Because I have been like struggling to figure out how to pick a tent. Yeah. So ultimately, trial and error, which gets expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's ultimately it. I started with like a standard one man. I think it was a North Face Stormbreak. I actually still have. I think that my parents uh, use it as a loner now. Um, and then I moved up to a, a bigger freestanding standard, like two poles that cross in an X kind of thing, um, which I've since sold on. And I'm right now pretty comfortable with the free, uh, the non-freestanding tents, mm-hmm. which are poles, which does tie you to taking two trekking poles, which is a con for sure. But um, <laughs> end up in this weird, you know, space, weight, and price pick two. Yep. situation yep. and trying to decide what your optimal setup is. So the Starry Night tent was, eh, did I need another tent? No. Yeah. But it's, it's, it works. Yeah. Um, and I make stuff. That's what I, like, uh, when I say I kind of do a lot of things at a very recreational level, that also expands into, like, making things. And so I have the equipment and inclination and skills to do that sort of thing. So I saw that fabric on Ripstop by the Roll, and I was like, you are coming home with me. Yeah. And decided- <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to talk to you about that, like, because uh, to me, that's, like, a whole nother level of, like, confidence, I guess, is, like, I'm going to make some of my own gear. So you have that. You have, like, those, uh, the gaiters that you made in the winter. Like, I've just been looking back, and I'm, I'm so jealous because I'm one of those, like, I want to be crafty, but when I try to be crafty, I'm not great at it. Nobody is when they start. It, it's just like it's just like the sports, right? It, it it's a lot of work and things turn out really bad and it really sucks for the first little while. Yeah. And yeah, yeah that's kind of the thing with when you talk about the confidence. I found with the crafty pursuits, uh, I'm just starting a new one right now, and it's just it's always you're gonna make a lot of bad stuff at the beginning, <laughs> um, and that's fine. That's the way it goes. That's how you learn. I tend to just like try it and learn and try it and learn. It's kind of like when I was talking about how I started hiking, you know, I, I just, I did small stuff and learned and then expanded upwards from there. And so that tent, when I was testing it, it was kind of the same thing. Like it came out on a winter trip with me, which sounds like um, not a start, but they're like, when it's cold and dry, I really wouldn't have needed it really if something mm-hmm. had gone really bad and again we were only 12k from the trailhead that day because my husband came and he's he'll come but he's not that's not his jam so okay kind of the same thing you just you test it in smaller spaces and expand up as you gain confidence in it yeah yeah um okay and i also want to talk to you about food because did you not you didn't do any cooking for this past the close trip you just went like no no heat stuff i did i did take uh a stove for it and i probably wouldn't if i did it again uh, me and me and food when hiking have a bit of a complicated <laughs> relationship well, that's why not- i wanted to ask you this because i have the same complicated relationship with food while hiking or maybe it's yeah. different but i have a complicated relationship with it so i wanted to get your take 
Yeah, so this, I think, in hindsight, ties again to the fitness issue for me. Um, I've always had some fairly extreme digestive problems on bigger hikes that I do, and I, I think it's just because I'm running so close to what I'm actually capable of, mm-hmm. and so I don't want to eat. Uh, it's I feel nauseous often. Um, not Again, not so much now that I've kind of got a little better handle on this. I don't drink enough. I don't eat enough because I feel unwell and the more I eat, the more I drink, the better I feel, even if it's unpleasant when mm-hmm. I first. So uh, I did bring uh, stuff to cook. So my setup right now that I really, really like is uh, a little alcohol stove that has a wick style. It's not just like a cat food can style. And I just boil water and use, I dehydrate or assemble my own meals that will be edible if you just add boiling water. So it's kind of like minimum amount of effort to have a hot meal mm-hmm. and that that I don't I'm not a you kind of get the spectrum with hiking of like hiking and camping and then there's a range in between and so on the one side you have like your ultra people like who are basically one step down from ultra marathoners and are basically just moving and will crash into a bivy at the end of the night and, yep. and that and then you've got the groups who have coolers and beer and hammocks and camp chairs and they walk five kilometers and camp and that's what they enjoy doing and then you kind of get the spectrum in in between and I tend a little bit farther towards hiking than camping Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't love to spend a ton of time in camp and especially on that La Cloche trip being at the beginning of June I knew the bugs were not going to be you didn't want to hang out (laughs) in camp your tent so yeah food wise actually answer your question i did bring um some i did bring heat but i'm not sure i would again i started out no cook again because i didn't want to carry as much and i didn't have a stove so i didn't want to buy one back then i just brought like cold hot dogs because i'm one of those weird people who will eat those cold oh my god i love it and like cheese and naan bread and like little things of red pepper jelly or just stuff you could eat and on in those at that point it was like one or two nights so that that stuff keeps it's fine um but I I, I started a bit to dial in my food situation because I've never done it before and got it good for the GDT where you're I was planning on 52 days and so I needed to drop mail myself packages right and what I needed and so I LaCloche was the first trip I tested that on and I basically did like a whole milk powder and coffee kind of I called it an iced coffee to make it not Ooh. sound it was actually really good sounded super gross worked for me because I can't like just eat breakfast and then just like snacked throughout the day um I had chips and granola bars and chocolate bars and um pepperettes and cheese was lunch and then at dinner I'd have like uh, I had instant mashed potatoes with fixins like gravy powder and dehydrated vegetables and cheese and stuff nice. like that. And what was my what were my other ones? Uh, skirka beans and rice. If you Google that, it's a recipe by Andrew Skirka, but it's kind of got a cult following. It was the first time <laughs> I tried it; it's actually pretty good. I'll give the people who are uh, devotees of that one that's a good recipe. And then I did like a curry, uh, like a saute kind of curry. I dehydrated, so that was was the meals and I it was about 2400 calories and it was perfect for me I was so happy with it I ate everything every day and I was not hungry it was it was really good I was it's the first time I've kind of gotten close yeah I love that whole milk with instant coffee thing that's such a good that's such a good hack I'm so into it it's 300 calories because when you're trying to like nail down your uh like for the GDT, there's like 14 day food carries at the end. So like trying to figure out weight projections, I had to kind of nail down the food. So like I'm talking about calories like I'm crazy, and I, I'm not that crazy. It was just my spreadsheet. And uh, <laughs> the problem with whole milk powder is it's hard to find instant whole milk powder here. You'd have a better time finding it in the states. But I did eventually find it on Amazon. Normally here you can find instant skim or the stuff you need to cook. As, mm-hmm. as whole yeah yeah okay um sorry hang on i lost you there for a second yeah no worries oh there we go okay um and then i see in your picture you you actually brought drink tablets too is that noon in the is that noon in the picture sorry i'm like so gear obsessed that i i really want to like zoom in on these things 
Yeah, yeah, that's noon. Uh, yeah, I just like them. <laughs> I've so. I found this on La Cloche and actually every other show we've done. I like bringing noon with me because I don't love how the water tastes when I've put like iodine tabs in it or like yeah. filtered it. So I find if I can add noon, it's like, oh, okay, I'm getting electrolytes and I don't have to taste the iodine. Yeah. And that helps, especially once you find, I'm kind of, pick, I don't like the berry flavors. So once I found the citrus flavors, I was happy. I'm not that picky about water. Ontario makes like the East makes it different. Out West, I just used the chlorine tabs and was fine with that. The worst you got was like a bit of like glacier gritty silt, mm -hmm. but here it's different. I use a filter here. Yeah. I don't want water brown. Yeah. Gritty, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We, we found with La Cloche, it's funny because we kept doing this annoying thing where we'd be low on water and we'd end up like hiking our way down to like low lying water and like getting like really crappy water. And then we'd go like half a kilometer up and there'd be like a gorgeous clear lake that we could have like right on the trail. We're like, darn it, if we just waited. <laughs> yeah. And I learned from your blog that was actually, I read it. I remember you yes. saying like, look at the map and there's lakes all around, but that doesn't mean you can get to them. Yep. 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 <laughs> I made sure that I, I had enough water for like at least till lunch or so until uh, you kind of came back down off the ridges to something you could get mm -hmm. to without descending too many meters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, okay, so solo hiking though. How, do you ever get nervous at night? Like I know the first time we did look close, it was like the first time I'd ever backcountry camped and like hearing wolves going off at night, I was just terrified. Yeah. I used to for sure. Um, definitely when I when I started, it was an exercise in like just self discipline, I guess. Like yeah. you're fine. Nothing's gonna eat you. Yep. <laughs> like just try and. Um, but it was just one of those things that came with time. Yeah. And I still don't sleep very well. I don't sleep very well in new places. Period. Um, in general, so you've picked a weird hobby I still then. Don't sleep yeah, the dog's actually, well, the big one you heard barking here, he, uh, he's kind of the worst because he will bark at stuff in the night and then wake you up, mm. but it's never any, the best he's ever done is scared a moose out of camp or a caribou maybe, the more <laughs> I was, at, I'm not quite sure, but, or not a caribou, there's another one, I'm, I'm getting my ungulates mixed up, but anyway, <laughs> some large and moved uh, out of camp, but other than that, it's squirrels. Yeah. like buddy just go back to sleep <laughs> comment yeah actually so have you uh, any tips for a dog sleeping in the tent with you because this is going to be our next hurdle here yeah well your guy is so small and packable he can just fit wherever it's true he's very packable i'm hoping because we have like a little i think you you've probably seen pictures of it. we have like a front backpack for him so we'll hike with like normal packs on our back and then he'll be in the front pack um and I think, like, worst case scenario, he'll use that almost as his crate in the tent. But I'm hoping he can just kind of free roam the tent and sleep comfortably between us. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. yeah, he's still pretty little, so I'm sure he'll learn. I, um, so my younger dog, he, I did set up, before his first trip, I set up my tent in the living room and kind of introduced it to him as a concept. And we slept in there once, but he wasn't he wasn't too big or too bad about chewing or they've always just been free in the tent. My mm -hmm. big guy, he was a little older by the time I'd gotten into that stuff. So it wasn't an issue. Um, in terms of the only thing that really sucks is if they're wet. I was on yeah. a trip <laughs> like two weeks ago, last week, it was me, um, my cousin, who's a similar size to me and then Heron, who, who is about a hundred pounds. He's a big dog, and it poured rain. It like torrentially oh. poured rain for the first eight hours. It, forecast said chance of afternoon thunderstorms, and I'm like, okay, I know what that means. That's fine. And then it and then it did not do that exactly. But anyway, so it was eight hours of like torrential rain. We were all soaked to the skin, but it was warm, and that we were fine with that. But the sites at Algonquin aren't always um, flat or open, yeah. and this was one of those and so I had room I brought the starry night tent and a tarp and bivy set up that I use uh but there was no good place to set up the tarp and bivy like the running water through the site was prohibitive and so all three of us ended up sleeping in the starry night tent which is conservatively 
a one person tent. I mean, technically, <laughs> like um, the tent it's modeled after is marketed as a two person tent, and you can sleep two people in it. Like I'd sleep sleep two people who knew each other in it. Yeah, yeah. We were dry, uh, just in time to hike out in the rain, and Perrin was fine. Like we fit in that tent, but it wasn't fun. And when they're wet, that's that's the worst, especially if you use down mm-hmm. for your sleeping bag. But oh your, yeah, your guy is is just a bit of a different uh, <laughs> scale than yeah he's, yeah. He's like third person in a tent, so yeah. DW is like having a stuffed animal in a tent. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, he just fit anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little more stressed about him just like being up all night, but I think we're we're gonna take him camping next week and get him sort of used to the tent once we've gotten it and see how it goes. But I think yeah. he'll be okay. He really loves the water though, so he's gonna be wet in the tent for sure. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, he's like a little he's like a little otter of a of a dachshund. It's hilarious. <laughs> I've seen your Instagram stuff. He's adorable. Swimming in his little pool. Oh my God. He's so funny. He's, he like wants, and he wants to swim into deeper water in the bay, but he like, he still kind of like, isn't buoyant. So he just kind of sinks and he doesn't really know how to keep his head up. So he's just getting like beat up by like the, you know, three inch (laughs) waves, um, like a foot deep. So I've got to get him a little doggy life vest, I think, before we go. They're so cute when they learn to swim. Neither of my guys were natural swimmers. They learned once they got older. And it's so funny the first time they hit water and they don't know how to use their back feet. And they mm-hmm. kind of just play on feet until they can get back to shore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Um, oh, and so the other thing I wanted to ask you about is hiking clothing. Um, what are your like do's and don'ts for, for what to bring? Because I admit like coming from more of a runner background, I basically just like, throw workout clothes in and that mm-hmm. failed me hardcore at La Cloche last year when I realized oh, that yeah. mosquitoes could bite through tights. Oh yeah, 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 okay. And that crap. <laughs> so admittedly I really just try to avoid bug season whenever possible. I started hiking out west and I love hiking out west. The mountains are where my heart lives. And I didn't even own bug spray when I was out there. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Ontario. I grew up in Lindsay actually so like I'm familiar with bug season yeah. and I don't want to go out camping so uh then I went to La Cloche in the beginning of June I was so, gonna yeah. say you went in the buggiest most mosquito-y time like when we did yeah. that I came home and like my and the backs of my legs were just bug bite like there was no skin left yeah so I knew I was doing that and was prepared for some type two fun but also kind <laughs> of prepared for it so um, for that trip, I wore like a, a tightly woven nylon hiking pant and a similar shirt. They're uh, they're just Value Village specials. I, yeah, I don't know nice. what they are, but um, the bugs have a hard time biting through them. Mm-hmm. They uh, my shirt where it was like really tight across my shoulders, they could. Um, but as long as I was moving, it wasn't too bad. So in terms of clothing, yeah, the problem is in June is that you're kind of running this line between the heat and bugs. Yep. So that's what I chose and I'd probably choose the same again. I did end up wearing my, so my hiking system basically is like the clothes I'm wearing during the day, which um, are either like a pair of pants or knee length kind of like running tight short things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I usually still wear the long sleeve because I hate dealing with sunblock. Same. Yeah. Everyone always thinks I'm nuts because I always wear long sleeves in the summer. And I'm like, I just don't like sunscreen. It's gross. They make good stuff that's cool. So yeah, that's my preference there. And then I sleep in, like I bring a pair of thermals to sleep in. So then also if it's really cold, that's kind of a mod. And when you're talking about like getting lighter, like having stuff you can kind of use in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. So sleeping clothes are just a pair of like winter thermals. And then I can wear them during the day if it's cold or if I have (laughs) undergarment problems, I can just wear the the tights as pants instead of my hiking pants because I'm not putting on the chafing underwear again. Yeah. For instance. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna ask you about this, so I'm glad you've brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and then just like a sports bra and then that's kind of my my clothing system. It it's really just trial and error. Yeah, the bugs the bugs and running tights would have been a problem. Yeah. But 
So I think this hot spring kind of zapped some of the bugs because they, they were not nearly as bad as I was expecting on the trail. Okay. So I used some bug spray on my hands and my face. And then the second day on, it was cool enough to use my head net while hiking in the bad spots. And that, that was my preference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. So as far as clothing goes, you did mention you liked the, you like using like the Merino wool stuff. You liked the icebreaker. It's just more like cuts of things that are like iffy. Um, do you generally go like wool when you have the choice? Is that like a good option? Um, there's pros and cons. I like kind of having tried the spectrum at this point, I use synthetic thermal bottoms. I wear my synthetic, like my, my thermals all winter, like as clothing, uh, like even I'll wear them under whatever pants I'm walking the campus in or, or whatever. So they see a lot of use. My complaint about the Merino bottoms is that they just weren't very durable. They got holes in yeah. them really in kind of the high rub areas, but on a trip, they make a big difference in the stink level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, put it delicately. So yeah, I really, I really liked, I had a Merino icebreaker sports bra that I really liked. Um, it probably wouldn't work for people who are maybe a bit bustier. It didn't have a lot of support, but uh, that isn't a concern for me. So uh, ditto <laughs> here. So <laughs> the, the problem with Merino is that it, it's a little bit more delicate and it is more expensive. Yeah. Whereas the synthetic thermals are so cheap and they, I've got, I've got pairs of synthetic thermals I've had since I was 16. Like they last forever. So I tend to do Merino on the top and then the synthetic on the bottom, just, just for durability concerns. Mm -hmm. So over all of your years of gear testing, do you have like a couple things like uh, across the board, any kind of gear that have just like stood the test of time that are just like your, I would absolutely recommend this thing. Ah, but only for how I hike. Everybody hikes differently. So, I But you hike very similar to me, so I'm very interested in what you have here. Okay, so shockingly, a lot of this is new stuff that because I've used um, other things for so long that when I got the right one, I knew immediately, like, this is the thing. Yeah. So one is that stove system I'm using. It's called uh, a Cogen and Caldera Cone. It's basically just like almost like a cosmetic tin with a ceramic uh like insulation almost i'm not quite sure they, they say it's proprietary but so it's like a wick so alcohol oh, stove, i've used them before you just use um here in the states you can get methanol or ethanol sorry here you need to use methanol because it's all that's available but um the alcohol stoves that have the wick they're much much less dangerous the, the ones i've used like the cat food can ones you'll see that you can make yourself they tend to spill and you can't snuff them out and that makes me really uncomfortable in the yeah. summer so with the ones with the wick you can snuff them with the lid you can and the and then the caldera cone is just like a like it's a pot stand but it's it's a cone shockingly from the name and then your your pot nests on top of it and you put the stove underneath it so it's really 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 stable and your pot is not on your stove and you're not knocking it around and spilling things that's my problem with canister stoves canister stoves are easy they're they're cheap they're reliable and i always knock my food off <laughs> Yeah, I've lived in fear of that the past couple trips. I'm like, don't ruin this dinner. Please don't ruin this dinner. Please don't ruin this dinner. Yeah, and they make little stands, like little feet to go on your, your canister that you can, that makes them a bit more stable, but they're just not my jam. So I love that system. It's not great if you want to cook more elaborate meals because there's no like uh, flame control. You get, you get one temperature and that is boil water. Um, but it's really easy and uh there's nothing to break it's really stable i really really like it but it, that's really kind of um uh dependent on what kind of cooking you like to do because if you want to cook something elaborate on it you'll hate it um mm -hmm. what, what else do i love i love having switched to trail runners that makes a big difference for me but shoes are such a such an individual thing I think you're right, though. I think so many people assume that they need hiking boots to go hiking, and I've just never felt like that was something that, like, if I didn't have them, I was screwed. I've always felt like trail runners are totally fine. Yeah, and I, I think if uh, somebody's new, it's worth giving it a try to see what works for you. Yeah. I, I wonder if maybe a holdover, too, from when packs were routinely, like, 50, 60 pounds. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine. I, could, I, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> 
I could because I'm an overpacker and I think mine was like 40 the first time we did the trail. So <laughs> yeah, I would have been hurting and it would have taken me a lot longer than four days. Uh, I think my pack was 20 water, food, like everything where I picked it up from the car was 24. Oh, wow. Yeah. That... Um, and my packing, yeah, I think my packing list for that one was on my blog. So yeah, I did not pack. I was not, um, it was not Spartan. No, your packing list looked totally reasonable. I, I was sort of stalking it before, because like I said, I love a good list. Yeah, and those are kind of the biggest ones, I think. I really like my new pack, but again, that's really personal, and that is kind of a niche pack. Um, mm -hmm. Because my older, lighter ones, the hip belt, it's one of the Osprey Tempests, which are great, but the hip belt doesn't wrap around me all the way anymore. So the wings, the padded parts, um, aren't on like the Iliac crest on the front of my hips, and then I have problems with it. Uh, it was okay. really problems in my other packs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and okay, so for like a new hike, someone who just has never done like a hike backpack situation. What would your what would your like top tip be for them? That's a hard question. I know. <laughs> top tip. Um, don't be afraid to try it. I guess. Yeah. Like, um, you know, the standard advice is don't go alone, and that's generally really really good advice. Unfortunately, I live in a glass house on that one. But you know, I think uh, a lot of it is kind of starting small and gaining confidence. I, I do uh, a lot of like beginner type trips with people and I just see a lot, and usually women, uh, like just people I meet through dog sports or, you know, relatives and stuff like that these days since I've been out of uh, the outdoors club I used to do when I was in school and people just are really nervous to do it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think doing short trips that are close, like, within a comfortable walking distance back to your vehicle, um, places in Ontario, you know, like Frontenac's really, really good for that. There's lots of close to the parking lot walk-in sites and the trails are really, really clearly marked. If you had to pack up in the middle of the night because you realize that your rain gear is not sufficient, or your tent is not sufficient, your rain gear in the middle of the night, that's silly, but um, you know, the worst case scenario, as long as you can walk back to your car becomes your cold, and you get back to your car and you warm up. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of those confidence building trips, even if you are with other people. And I've, you know, other people, going with other people who are kind of aware of your beginnerness and won't push or, you know, kind of before you're ready doing things that make you uncomfortable. This isn't as big a thing here, um, but I, I saw it at West sometimes, like with more technical or exposed trails, people kind of being in and over their heads with some friends things and then they get scared and they don't want to do it again or they went too far and they're just destroyed and they're like well that was no fun like, yeah. I hurt much so just starting small and building that confidence and working up because you learn so much even on like a eight kilometer overnight you're gonna learn how your gear works and you're gonna learn that you hate your sleeping bag or your stove doesn't work oh maybe i should have learned to use my stove before I left. <laughs> yep you know yep. that seemed really easy in the backyard but it was harder and then you're not committed to a big trip and you you take those learnings and take them to bigger stuff as you learn yeah yeah i love that uh, and then also obviously i have to ask best tip for hiking and camping with your dogs uh yeah um obeying leash laws I guess it's a That's good one yeah cool. um so yeah following the rules of where you are is really important um because the more problems people have with dogs on the trail fewer places dogs are going to be allowed to go and yeah. you're seeing that west all the time now uh, lots of places and in the, the states even more so like so many places don't allow dogs because there have been problems uh after people are not obeying leash laws and yeah. then so then that becomes you know training that um and even where you are allowed off leash having that recall using something like a long line 
uh, if you if you're not sure you have that recall yet, so then you you've got some freedom, but you've also got you know that oh crap line. Yeah. <laughs> happen and uh if they're good for training in that regard because then you can work on the recall because it's pretty hard to work on a recall on a six foot leash um yeah I, yeah we need to we need to start getting onto that because he is a stubborn little dude and you can tell he hears us and he's just being a dick about it um with the with the dachshunds you've got some competing motivators going on that you know yeah. the critters, they, their instinct there is is the critters so 100%. it's hard to, better than the critters to want to come back to it's true he's really into ants right now but then he's really scared of them i think one got up his nose and now he's just like really angry but really nervous it's amazing <laughs> that's so funny I, he's so cute oh my god he's adorable yeah well hopefully at some point we can cross paths and have our dogs out on the trails in the same park at the same time because i feel like mine could probably learn something from yours yeah, well, I mean, uh, my little guy who, uh, my big guy's a bit hit and miss with, with other dogs, uh, but my little guy is not a great trail dog yet. Perrin, <laughs> the big guy, he's a great trail dog. I, I had him out for the first time this summer there on that wet trip, and every time we go out, I'm just like, oh, you're the best buddy ever. Aww. So uh, my little guy is still learning. He has some uh, issues with the car, so he doesn't come out as often Aww. because the, the reward uh awful ratio for him on the car ride is yeah, got to be optimal but Fair enough. Uh, yeah he, he's still like pulls like a freight train when I don't want him to and drags me down hillsides uh, we're getting better <laughs> as he gets older uh but he's another dog who's really environmental uh he the environment is very very interesting to him mm -hmm. and so it's a bit more training than it did for my other guy for him to to be a little bit more aware that I am on the other end of that leash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find your awesome blog. Like, honestly, I was, I was so excited when I found it because I was just like, Oh my God, someone else who actually still blogs and does lists. And, oh, this is amazing. So everyone should read it and everyone should follow you on Instagram too. So tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So I mountain dog adventures in both places. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. As you know, materials in cyclocross are very important. What do you think, Mr. Sven Nies? It's uh, very important to have the good material when it's frozen, when it's dry, when it's summer, when it's, uh, when it's wet. Uh, the tires are very important. It's all about technique. It's all about uh, the good material. So we brought the Bike Shop Show back with a cyclocross focus. Same great format, new name, Bike Shop CX. Give it a listen. I think you'll dig it. Each week, Mr. David Palin and I talk about things that go on at our bike shop. We talk about things that go on in the pro cyclocross pit at all the big races around the country. Sometimes we have industry-leading guests on the show. Sometimes it's just the two of us yapping. If you're at all interested in cyclocross, I think you'll like it. The bike shop is open.